The weather has turned cold. Grey clouds dominate the skyline. Sleet and cold rain are the theme of the day. This is January in Portland. All the bright-coloured lights of the last month have been put away. There is nothing to look forward to except snow, freezing rain and cold. Lots of cold. It's a very depressing time of year. And truth be told, I quite loathe it. On this day, I was at the local library. It had snowed the night before, and in typical Portland fashion, they were ill-prepared to deal with it. Give them a deluge of rain, and they're in their element. Drop a light dusting of snow on them, the whole city is crippled. I was surprised the library was even open. I was deep into researching a task I had set the patron saint of children upon. My greatest foe was currently working on a way to save my life. <laughs> Talk about irony. Still, next Christmas was some time off yet. I was just about done reading a number of legends of unnaturally beautiful beings who were cold to the touch, when a young woman with blonde hair came up and sat down on the other side of the table from me. She pulled a large, old book from her backpack and dropped it on the table between us. Can I help you? Are you Byron? <laughs> to be honest, I'm not certain who I am these days, but for the sake of argument, let's just say I am. Who are you? Oh, um, hi. My, my name's Maxine Tremblay. My friends call me Max. I was told you might be someone who could help me. Help you with what, Maxine? Well, this book, really. And why come to me? That's just it. I have no idea. I'm a student at the University of Portland, and this morning I woke up with this at the door to my room. There was a note on it saying I should come here at this time where I would find a really pale man named Byron. And so no offense, but you're so pale, you look like death. What a colorful observation. This book is very old, at least a hundred years. Which is old for America. Now that is interesting. What is? I can't make out the penmanship or even what language it's in. Not surprising. It's in a code once used by the British Secret Service in the 19th century. British Secret Service? You, you mean like James Bond stuff? Not James Bond. This was the MI15 branch. What's MI15? A task force designed to investigate paranormal activities. You mean the supernatural? You've got to be joking. On the contrary, I'm quite serious. It was a very superstitious era back then. Queen Victoria was convinced she may have been a vampire for a time, or was that a werewolf? Uh, I really should look into that. So you can read this, then? More or less. It concerns one Dr. John D. John D. John D. Wait, I know, I know about him. Wasn't he an astrologer or something? Also an occultist and advisor to Queen Elizabeth I. This book tells about some of his more, how shall I say, uh, nefarious activities. And they were... An encounter with a man called Alistair. Sit down, Miss Tremblay. I'll read it to you. It was some time ago, during the last decade under Queen Victoria. He had taken on the name Alistair during this period, 
He's been incredibly busy in London during this time, dealing with a certain serial killer, an overzealous scientist or two, and a certain Romanian count, just to name a few. On one winter's day, he found himself in Westminster Abbey. As he wandered its vicinity, he realized something. He'd not been there since Queen Elizabeth's reign in the 1560s. That had been over 300 years ago. Alastair liked to avoid religious sites, but he wouldn't go out of his way to avoid them. And Westminster Abbey was one of the more powerful ones. Avoiding it would be second nature. Odd. Why have I not been here in so long? It's almost as if... Hmm. Alastair started to feel a strong compulsion to leave. Yet it was not subtle enough not to set off all of the red flags in his head. Someone is playing games with forces they should not. More than that, they're doing it right under my nose and trying to make me look the other way. Not wise. Alistair decided it was time to find out who was messing with things they should not, and why. More than that, though, he was quite unhappy having been manipulated. It was okay when he did it to others. But being done to him, that was a whole other matter. Whoever was doing this, they were using a considerable amount of arcane energies and powers from the very dawn of time. He had to admit, part of him envied the level of subtlety he witnessed. Alistair began to eliminate the usual suspects, trying to figure out who the culprit was. As he moved in closer, he began to feel eyes upon him. Turning, Alistair noticed several men shadowing him. Lord Alistair, if you'd be so kind to come with me. <laughs> I really don't have time for this, so if it's all the same, I'll just be on my way. I'm afraid I must be insistent, sir. Oh. Alistair woke with a groggy head. Slowly he opened his eyes. It was a typical London dungeon. Certain things had never changed in this city. There were still old, dank areas like this. The decor seemed like it was still the 16th century. Alistair's wrists and legs were chained to a stone wall. In the advent of not being able to do anything else, Alistair began to survey the room. Magical wards were everywhere. He even noticed some were forged into the restraints on himself. Wonderful, someone is playing with Enochian magic. And I thought I was the one who liked playing with fire. Enochian magic is about the forces that revolve around controlling various spirits. But the kicker is that practitioners use it in the attempt to control angels. Alistair thought the idea of mortals controlling the servants of the Great Divine a ludicrous endeavor not to mention quite dangerous. Humans were little more than gnats believing that they were masters of the universe. It's a very absurd concept. He looked around the room. Finely scrawled wards were carved into the floors, the walls, and even the very ceiling. Whoever was behind this had not wished to allow anything to luck or chance. And it was then he discovered the other prisoner. 
Throughout history, Alistair never dreamt he would have the opportunity presented before him now. The other prisoner was something of an old opponent of his. However, given that he himself was also chained to the wall, there was little Alistair could do to take advantage of the moment. However, he had little doubt that the other prisoner was the main reason behind all the wards. Upon reflection, the wards were a bit too powerful for simple mortals to command, but the other prisoner was none other than the Archangel Michael, and Alistair had no love for the angels. I believe our host has made an egregious mistake. Is that so, pale man? I believe our host has what he wants, beings of considerable power to enhance certain enchantments. With me, it's easy to discern my origins and kind. You, however, I agree he may have miscalculated. You know, I've never been that fond of you, Michael. I've always found your past methods deplorable. Still hold a grudge from the ward of heaven. One does not really get over that sort of thing. What your forces did to my sister's realm, well, let's just say sooner or later we'll have a reckoning. <laughs> oh, any time, anywhere, pale man. I'd be doing creation a favor, tearing you limb from limb. Be that as it may, how did the Almighty's Archangel get himself trapped here? Have you ever heard of a man named John D? Dr. John D. Elizabeth's pet mystic. I thought he died ages ago. There seems to be more to him than first believed. He's found a means to evoke Enochian magic. I imagine that scares you, son. A mere mortal using angelic magic. You're correct, pale man. He's used our magic to trap me. He used it to lengthen his life upon this plane and to keep Great Britain the greatest empire during Elizabeth's reign. And you've been here the whole time. I've escaped twice. The first time coincided with Cromwell's rebellion. The second with the rebellion of the American colonists. Uh, my other attempts were characterized with various uprisings and trouble in the royal house. That was all you're doing. <laughs> hmm. Why would D want to capture me? I'm neither an angel nor one of the beings of the nether realms. That is very simple. The Empire has grown considerably under my watch. I desire to see it expand more. To do that, I need more eldritch energies to power the various enchantments. Your powers, plus those of an archangel's, should ensure that whatever happens, the result is the rule of Britannia lasting a millennium or two. I presume that you must be Dr. John Dee. Yes as you are the infamous Mr. Pale Man. Infamous? Is that how people really see me, infamous? Must I remind you of Rome? Well, I guess that is a point. Anyway, quite full of ourselves, aren't we? Imprisoning an archangel, ever thought of the consequences? And then to include me in your petty schemes, and without my permission, I might point out. Would you have volunteered, had I asked? Oh, you never know, if the pay was right. You could have at least offered me a good bottle of mead and a good cup of tea once in a while. You know, John, you're not the first to attempt the impossible task of building an eternal empire. There are reasons it never works out. I am quite knowledgeable of the arcane arts. Do you believe I have not anticipated all possibilities? Pale man, I do not want an eternal empire. I aspire to one that will be the longest ever. 
a millennium or two would be more than acceptable. There is one fly in your ointment there. Me. If you were trapping an angel, fairy, your typical supernatural creature, or a demonic wheel of cheese, this could all work. One small problem. My kind is quite unique. So unique that very few accurate sources about my kind exist. So these wards of yours... Michael's and my relationship is anything but amicable. We have a long-standing disagreement. Despite that, the idea of blowing your well-laid scheme and allowing him to exact a form of recompense is a really attractive option at this time. How dare you! Oh, very easily, I assure you. You have destroyed centuries of work. Who are you to interfere with my plans? I am the Pale Man. Next to things I've done in the past, you're getting off rather easy. For your hospitality, I've pronounced that your empire will dwindle. Its final death knell will be when another of your original beloved sovereign's names come to the throne. After the coronation, your empire shall wither away from the world's embrace. No, Angel. I still command you. I am still your master. Thanks to the Pale Man, you no longer command me. There is only one master of angels. That is the creator on high, not you or any mortal. You really bit off more than you could chew. Michael never lets a slight go. Who do you think was there for the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Egypt's firstborn? No, this cannot be! No, no! I should kill you, John D. No, let him live to see his precious British Empire dwindle to nothing. It's a more satisfying end. Pellman, compared to the way I remember you, that was uncharacteristically merciful. Do not tax what little patience I am holding on to at the moment. I plan to even the score between us one day. But not this day. Let us leave this godforsaken place then, Pellman. That works for me. This is not over. Not by far. So, that's it? That's the whole story? Yes. Uh, so, it's nothing but a work of fiction. A work of fiction? <laughs> well, I guess you could say that. Come on, angels? Really? Someone using magic so the British Empire could flourish all over the world? And don't get me started on that Alistair fellow. What about that Alistair fellow? Well, clearly, he's something of a sociopath. High-functioning, probably, but he's clearly got issues to work out. Does he now? Are you okay? Your voice sounds weird. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry about that. Frog in my throat. Well, be that as it may, there you go. The question I'm concerned about is who gave this to you and why did they send you to me? I was hoping you could answer that. The library will be closing in ten minutes. I repeat, the library will be closing in ten minutes. So get what you came for and get out of here! It seems that's going to have to wait. Still, these things do have a habit of working themselves out. In time. 
Wait, where are you going? You heard them. The library is closing. I'm going home. But, hold on, there's still a lot I don't understand. Have no fear, Miss Tremblay. I have every confidence our paths will cross again soon enough. Cheery bye now. And as you can see, the office is fully furnished. We can also supply anything else you may desire. Yeah. Yeah, this will do fine. The lease will be available as the 1st of February. Then we can- I'm afraid that won't do. The lease is available now. I'm not sure you heard me correct, sir. I said- I heard you fine, Mr. Doyle. I said the lease is available now. But sir, with all due respect, there are still people using this office. Their lease won't be up until- They will be vacating early. See to it personally that they are compensated for any difficulty that may arise because of it. Make the necessary arrangement, Mr. Doyle. At once, sir. Is there anything else you need? Sustenance of any sort? Not this time. Go now. I desire to be left alone for a time. Very good, sir. This is Poland, his city, and like Rome, I shall see this city is destroyed by his hand. You've been listening to The Byron Chronicles, A Year in the Life, Part 1, written by Rick Myers and Eric Busby. Featured in the cast were David Alt as Byron, Carissa DeWitt as Max, Victor Aurelius as Michael, Ellie Hirschman as John D., Dane Russell Leonardson as Mr. Doyle, Rick Myers as the MI-15 agent, Kevin Tremblay as Tucker T. Schwab, and Kareem C. Cronfley. Music by Kevin McLeod. Byron theme by Kai Hartwig. Script edited by Rick Myers. This episode was produced and directed by Eric Busby. This has been an Eric Busby production.